ZM Sealed Section. Where you can ask whatever you want. Who are we to judge? Thanks to New Zealand On Air. I recently lost my family dog of 16 years and I'm finding it really hard to get over the loss. My friends are teasing me saying it was just a dog and to get over it. But I loved her so much and I can't seem to just get over it. What should I do? I think that not just getting over something is absolutely the right thing. When you lose a family dog and... I can't imagine that you have a memory of your family without the dog being in it. And so it's kind of all your life would be kind of infused with memories of this dog and the smell of the dog and fun memories and beach and just hanging out and snuggling. So you can't just get over that. And I think it's really complex when you have that grief and other people haven't had that experience to actually understand what that feels like. We kind of understand human grief a little better, but I think losing a family pet is really, really hard for people that haven't experienced that about how much of a loss it is. We were just talking now about different animals that we have had in our lives and that are no longer in it. And that, that there is a sense of loss that lingers for a long time. Yeah. And you hold that memory with you. I've never actually, to be fair, had a pet that's been with me my whole life but I've had friends and got close to my friends pets and it is sad to think about Mm. when you were younger and oh we used to take Rosie for a walk Mm. or anything like that it is really sad and what you're saying about what you're going to do to to do now I think is to kind of cut your friends a little bit of slack because they may not understand Mm. where you're at but also don't be hard on yourself allow your time yourself some time to sort of grieve and talk about the dog and maybe even talk to your friends about how important this is for you so that they can get a bit of understanding. Yeah, I think the role that animals often play in our lives are really important as Mm. well and they do become part of the family Mm. and if people haven't had pets or don't have that type of relationship with them then often it's hard for them to understand that you might be that upset Mm. and so it might also be about just kind of explaining to your friends that it was, it's like losing a member of your family uh, mm-hmm. and that they're really important and it's going to take you some time to sort of process it yeah. and go through the stages of grief that you might be going through. Uh, and, you know, it's okay to be upset at this mm. point because it's, it's a sad event. And at least um, what you can do now is try and think about the good memories that you did have with your dog as well. That's quite important too, to not only think about how... You, your dog's passed away but also think about you know those fun memories growing up what I think you're 18 and so that's 16 years of your life with this dog is pretty cool ZM sealed section where you can ask whatever you want I'm scared of growing up what are some things to look forward to in the future I'm only 12 yeah this is a really interesting uh, sort of reflection to have and a, and a really normal thing to be kind of thinking about I think a lot of us are still a little bit frightened about what's what's coming up. Even at, at my age, I sort of think about, you know, what am I going to be when I grow up? Um, but I, I think the, the key thing is that there are lots of really good things that uh, happen. And, and at your age, you're 12, there's some new experiences. You're going to go to high school soon. Um, lots of opportunities to make really good connections with people. And also think about uh, what you might want to be doing career-wise uh, and also thinking about, you know, what are some of the things that you might want to enjoy, like travel or, um, you know, experiences of, you know, doing different things, playing different sports, what, whatever it is that you're into. There's lots of really cool stuff that you can, uh, can get into. 
Yeah, and I think at 12, it's one of those important stages of our lives where you're kind of looking ahead a little bit more with those major changes like, you know, thinking about high school, thinking about then if you once you go to high school, there's NCEA or whichever exams or qualifications you're looking at. And then what about university or what about, um, you know, apprenticeships or what... But actually, you're 12, and there's an awful lot of work that needs to be done when you're 12 about your friendships and your relationships, those changing sort of subtle changes in your relationships with your mum and dad. It's a really, really busy time right now um, for you. So thinking ahead is quite tricky as well. So because there's a lot of work that you have to do now about, you know, that relationship with your parents and possibly siblings and other family members that you can be working on now as well. And every generation has fear about growing up. And I think every generation is criticised in some way by the generations that go before Mm. about not living up to potential and things like that. And um, I think it was one of the Greek philosophers that did this big spiel about young people today you know, they're lazy, they've got no direction. So this was about 2000 BC, so about 4,000 years ago, he was going on about young people today. So I think we kind of just have to learn to accept that, that sometimes there'll be pressures and criticisms. And so just enjoy where you're at if you possibly can. Mm. And and it's the most fun age as well because you're not quite at the age where you can take on a whole bunch of responsibility as well. You're still a kid. You can still go out and hang out with your friends. So just as, I guess, essentially live in the moment and enjoy being the age that you are and then you can start looking forward to things as they come. It's it's a gradual process. ZM Sealed Section. Hi, guys. My friend followed my crush on Instagram under my account and he declined it. I was absolutely heartbroken and I avoided him at school the next day, but then it turns out that the mean girl at school went up and told him that I liked him and everything's really awkward and I'm just in a really, really horrible position, I guess, because of it. Yeah, social media can be quite hard in in these situations because you don't get any direct feedback as to why somebody might have made a decision to do something like uh, block you from following them. And so often we will step back and start thinking about all of these reasons why it happens without actually having a clear picture from the person. And the only way to really get a clear picture is to have a conversation with that person And in order to do that, we need to make ourselves quite vulnerable and be quite brave to do that. So if it's something that you feel like you could maybe do and have a a chat to this guy, if um, you think that uh, you you feel like it might um, help to clarify some of the um, feelings that you're having or the questions that that you have, maybe have a chat to him. Um, otherwise, have a chat to maybe some of your your friends, or or um, you could talk it through with um, some like someone on one seven three seven as well, just to kind of talk through some of the scenarios. Because sometimes when we start getting into our heads and thinking about all the the possible scenarios, it can actually make us feel worse sometimes. And I think that the, it's pretty awful that the the mean girl you said at school um, went and told him that you liked him. How do you? I want to know how you know this. Is it? Did one of your friends tell him, or did you find this out before your um, friend had gone and followed him under your account on Instagram? Because I think at the end of the day, if you do like him, maybe it is just going up and talking to him and telling him that and not even worrying about this mean girl because I guess if that's what she 
wants to go and do, then it shows her characteristics, not yours. And I guess it's another thing where you don't actually really know exactly what's been said as as well. So, you know, if it, it might be an opportunity for you to kind of set the record straight. Uh, you know, again, you know, if you feel comfortable to do that, because it can be quite scary to sort of put yourself out there and be vulnerable in those conversations. ZM Sealed Section. I just got diagnosed with bipolar disorder too. I'm scared, and I'm also scared that my family won't understand because they're super religious. What should I do? I think it's interesting that your concern around family is coming from um, sort of linking that with that they're super religious because often with religion there can become sort of support structures around that people that can they can talk to often a pastor or a priest that they can talk to about things who may have a better understanding of those things in saying that it's always our hope and our desire that with religion comes compassion and understanding but that's not always the way so if we just park that for a moment with bipolar and having a diagnosis it is quite scary like you're saying and having that family support is really really important because part of you learning how to manage this is in conjunction with your health practitioner who may be prescribing some medications to help balance out some of the chemical things that are going on inside your body but also you need to be looking for clues that things are potentially going awry or where you might need some more support so you can do that yourself but it's easier to do that if you're in a supportive environment and you've got people around you who love you and care about you also looking out for clues and giving you support and um, nurturing to help support you through this this understanding of this diagnosis and what that's going to mean for you Um, so I think you're presuming that it's going to be difficult for them to understand and I think it will be hard potentially because if they care about you anything that's going to make your life trickier is kind of can cause distress for people but all that's changed is there is a diagnosis so and with a diagnosis it means that we can do some work and find the right supports to um, help manage and make your life better and more full. And so if you can do that with your family, so I think moving from presuming that they're not going to understand to actually talking to them. Now, you might want to do that in conjunction with a health professional or talking to someone on 1737 and sort of get a bit of a plan You don't need to do this on your own, but I think having that conversation with them is really, really important. And I guess if you do do it with your, you know, um, GP or whatever, if you get them to talk with to your parents, they can fully explain what's actually going on and the whole like the symptoms of it all and how they can work with you, which I think would be quite important because sometimes when you find out these things, you don't even know what's going on yourself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think it can be really scary when you Mm. get a new diagnosis because there's a lot of unknown there and often it is a starting point for putting Mm. a plan in place to work out how how you cope going forward with uh you know potential challenges that might be thrown up Uh, but I guess the other thing just to remember is that you know there are a lot of people that live very highly functioning lives who are living with um, bipolar disorder um, and lots of other sort of Mm. mental health uh, problems that um you know, you're not alone in this. And so, you know, people live very high-functioning, yeah. healthy lives. So, um, you know, it's it's great that you uh, have have your diagnosis and you've got some support around that, how you, about how you can kind of move forward. 
And I think that there's a lot of people out there with mental health issues and often um, it's hidden and not talked about. So this is a fantastic opportunity for you to get that support at a young age and and that this is part of who you are, but it doesn't define who you are and it doesn't it doesn't step in your way. ZM Sealed Section. So we've had a couple of questions come through um, about how to find out whether the person I like likes me back. So we thought we'd kind of do a generic answer for many of them. Lots of the questions are similar to some to some extent I guess so if you are wondering how to find out whether the person you like likes you back we're going to let you know now I think the fact there's a lot of questions coming through around this highlights that it is a real concern for a lot of people uh, especially uh, when we're younger and you know even as you get older you still have to find ways to find out these things and and uh, work out if somebody has similar feelings to the feelings that you might be having for them. The best way to do it is uh, probably the sort of hardest way for a lot of people because you have to uh, be brave and ask them and have a conversation with them about that. And there are various ways that you can go about doing that, but generally the best way to do it is face-to-face. Yeah. Which makes it even harder, and the little, and the heart starts beating, and you never the words don't come out properly. Exactly, you're never quite sure about what they're going to say, so you don't, you know, you like, probably stumble over it. it. Yeah, um, but it, it it really is about being brave uh, and having a thinking about what it is that you want to say to them and what um, what you would like them to hear from you. So, um, talking about how you're feeling that you, know, you feel like um, you, you've got an attraction to them or that, that you like them um, and we're wondering maybe if they like you in the same way uh, is, is a good starting point. Uh, you know, and we're always a little bit frightened in that that people are going to say, no, we don't feel the same way. Um, but you know, unless you sort of put yourself out there, you're never quite going to know. No way. And it's, it does, as you said, like it doesn't necessarily get easier as you get older as well. There's... There's so many different ways, and I know that it is really hard to to say it in person. And maybe if that's doesn't isn't really something that you'd like to do, would you would you recommend texting, or if you're already in a conversation with them, I don't know. Yeah, lots. There's lots of ways that you you could do it, like through through text if you're having, yeah. if you're chatting with somebody, letting them know. Uh, on the on the phones, quite good as well, because often. The, the thing that happens when we're having conversations with people through text or through social media is that you lose some of the um, communication, the non-verbal communication um, that will that will come through around sort of tone um, and the, the communication that isn't necessarily the words that they're mm. saying. You can pick up a hell of a lot from people's um, tone, the way that they go about responding to you. The that body you, language. The body language, everything. all of those things that you miss when you're communicating through text or or on text. So it just adds another layer of complexity in that. Um, And often we can misinterpret what people say Mm. through those those mediums as well. Why in emails I've started to add smiley faces so people know that I'm not I'm not grumpy, I'm not stern. <laughs> it's just like, can you please do this? Smiley face. <laughs> but did you know that if sometimes those smiley faces are interpreted as J's? They are or a question mark. Yeah. 
depends yeah. on your platform, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, you're right. Face-to-face communication is better, so the fi- smiley face doesn't get confused with just another letter in the alphabet. ZM Sealed Section. Where you can ask whatever you want.